Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. This message this morning, funny name to it. I call it Protracted Pentecost. You remember those protractors in high school geometry where you take a line and you, you kind of extend it out? I, I guess carpenters still use it. I'm not handy, so I wouldn't know. You don't want to give me a hammer or anything like that. So. so the word protracted then, you see, it means to draw out. It means to extend. It means to elongate. It means to go somewhere with a line. And this message is the third message in a series of messages that are entitled One Accord. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason for the, for the idea of a protracted Pentecost. Because I believe that this is an important day. This is a significant day. But I don't think that the significance of this day is going to find itself fulfilled until a time in the future. But the point is that today there is a deposit of the Holy Spirit upon the face of the earth. God is moving and we're going to see the fruit of it. And so there are certain preconditions. And the preconditions of that happening is this thing called one accord. In describing Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, uh, the New King James Bible tells us that an important precondition of the falling of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem was that the disciples were all in one accord. Two words in English, one word in Greek, really important word because every time that the Holy Spirit subsequently falls in the book of Acts, comes upon the disciples, we find that they were in one accord. It's a foundation for the coming of the Holy Spirit that the church seems fond of just like ignoring. The word means that they were of one mind. It means that they were of one heart. It was, means that they were of one soul, one focus, as they prayed and waited for the coming of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus had instructed them to do in Acts, Acts chapter 1. So the bickering, watch this, the bickering and the competition and the envy between the apostles that we saw, even at the Last Supper, had ceased. The church was one in its anticipation for a future. This description of the church, this, this word one accord is used to describe the church each successive time that the Holy Spirit comes upon them in the book of Acts. And I, I mean, how often is the church, not our church, but the church, how often is the church in one accord? Last week, Pastor Ian Martin did a, a masterful job of, uh, of opening the concept of having an attitude of of one accord toward one another and, and a practical necessity to it and how to do it, especially as we look to reassembling sometime soon. By the way, in that light, I want to thank you all so much for filling out the re-entry survey. We're compiling those stats right now and, and we're going to figure out how we're going to do this, asking, pray for wisdom as we kind of do this, put together our, our coming back together. So thank you for doing that. And by the way, Pastor Ian and uh, Selena are leaving the UK today after all those months in, in being sequestered, and they're traveling to Prague, and hopefully within the next two weeks or so, they'll be released to come back to the States. So we're believing for like a seamless re-entry for them. So stuff is, stuff is happening. So I want to build upon what Ian said last week, and I want to expand it upon it. I, I want to protract it, Pentecost. And I'm kind of upping the ante of the importance of our unity 
right now in terms of what God is looking to do in our future. So I believe that the Spirit of God wants us to look beyond the next few weeks. I believe He's going to do something wonderful. And, you know, it's a funny thing. Watch this. For Charismatics or Pentecostals, the Feast of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, describes the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples in Jerusalem. Preachers and teachers tout Pentecost as the birth of the church. And that's for a good reason. The church was birthed on that day. But I've learned after, you know, preaching over the years that the true significance of Pentecost is something that really kind of escapes us Christians. Uh, We get part of it, and an important part, but we only get a part. I believe that. See, pastors see Pentecost as an opportunity to speak on the gifts of the Spirit, uh, the coming of the Spirit upon the church, uh, especially for Pentecostals and Charismatics, the the gift of tongues, and that's thoroughly appropriate. We've done that here at NC4, and I enjoy that. But what many of us fail uh, to understand is the purpose of the baptizing power of the Holy Spirit that fell upon the disciples at Pentecost. And by the way, you know, people say the first Pentecost. That was not the first Pentecost. Pentecost, or in Hebrew, Shavuot, which means weeks, comes with over 1,000 years worth of history. It goes all the way back to the time of Moses. It was the feast of the giving of the Torah. But essentially, it was a feast, literally a feast of harvest, a harvest of wheat. See, the central reason for the celebration of Pentecost, and the disciples were Jewish, they knew this. The central reason for the celebration of Pentecost was and is harvest. The disciples were Jews who knew what they were waiting for. I think they were surprised by the Spirit and the way the Spirit came, but they knew the timing. They anticipated the timing of God. They knew what time it was, and they knew what they were waiting for. The infilling of the Holy Spirit, it was ecstatic, and it was wonderful, but it had a purpose, and the purpose was harvest. Under the Old Covenant, it was a natural harvest. It was a wheat harvest. And under the New Covenant, beginning in Acts chapter 2, it becomes a spiritual harvest, a, a harvest of souls. And that's exactly what happens in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit falls. 3,000 come to Christ, 3,000 baptized, 3,000 the initial uh, thrust of the first church. But across the globe, preachers build this anticipation. I've done it myself in our our congregations that this Pentecost Sunday is going to be the one that will yield the big harvest. And and this this is the anticipation we kind of set up. Or maybe Pentecost will ignite the revival that will usher in the coming of Messiah Jesus. And this is the case, especially this year, as intercessory groups all over the country have been like prayerfully counting down from Passover to Pentecost. There's some anticipation that in our coming together, there will be an immediate release of the Spirit and, and a new revival and a harvest. And I believe that's so. But look, I believe that something wonderful is going to come upon us, but I believe it's protracted, all right? So please don't write me off as being faithless, but I see many of you are, you know, tied up with pent-up frustration, pain, the social unrest, all these things are going on. It's interesting because 
I received a letter from Elliot Tepper, who's the apostolic leader of Battelle International, and he's in Madrid. They lost some of their leaders to COVID. Of course, many of you know that COVID hit Spain very hard, and especially Madrid. But, he, but he, when he wrote me, he said, I really, really believe something wonderful is going to come of this. I thought, boy, is that just naive optimism? Is that cavalier? And, and this guy's been through enough pain and in enough circumstances in God to know when God's doing something and when the Lord is going to move. So, by the way, I was looking at Bethel. Their new album, the Bethel Worship Group, is Revival is in the Air. And I believe that. There's a t-shirts out that I see, Revival is in the Air. So I believe that today is important in terms of what God has in store. But I want to adjust hearts and talk about how that's supposed to happen. All right? Now, here's a really interesting factoid. In the history of the church, there are a few times that I'm aware of anyway. You can check this out. In Acts chapter 2, I don't call it a revival because it's the first time that it happened. It's a vival. All the other ones are revivals, okay? <laughs> I'm aware that the vival that occurs in Acts chapter 2 is replicated in the history of the church but I don't see any time that it's ever replicated in the history of the church on the day of Pentecost, other than Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And you can check that out and correct me if you want to. The Great Awakening began in the summer. The Azusa Street Revival began near Easter. The Latter Rain Revival was touched off in, in the winter. I'm just going back over the last century or so. Toronto Blessing was in January. Pensacola Revival, Brownsville began in June. And isn't that interesting? How untidy is that, right? I mean, if I was God, I would just do it on that day, right? So I don't think that the importance of what God is doing uh, spiritually is Pentecost. Watch this, is limited to a 24-hour period. But that doesn't mean the day isn't important. So I also have to ask the question, and this is the question I'm asking. Really, it's three questions. Well, why not? Why not now? Huh? Why not here? Heck, why not anywhere, right? But my reckoning is that the early church revered and celebrated Pentecost, watch this, for different reasons than we do. Huh? They were praying their way into a 1,200-year tradition in history. The disciples in the upper room were praying through a tradition of over 1,000 Pentecosts. And for that reason, and this is going to throw some of you, I don't think those in the upper room were completely surprised by the timing of the coming of the Spirit. I think they were filled with anticipation for the day to arrive. And when the day arrived, guess what? God showed up. I think that the manifestation of the Spirit was really kind of surprising. But I don't think that the timing and the purpose was surprising to them at all. When they dumped out into the streets and Peter began to preach... By the way, we have to realize that all the people from all the nations who spoke the other languages were Jews themselves. So Jews came out into the streets and began to preach to Jews. I don't think that that was a completely spontaneous happening. I think they anticipated a harvest. They knew that for 1,200 years, the celebration of Pentecost was going to generate harvest. And the churches tended to celebrate harvest, or Pentecost to see people filled with the Spirit. We've done that. So we have filled with the Holy Spirit, good thing. And then we have receiving a harvest, good thing. 
Holy Spirit harvest, Holy Spirit harvest. Both are important, but they're not the same. And unless those two goals work perfectly in tandem, the attitude and the one accord of the church will not produce what the anointing of Pentecost is supposed to cause to happen. So this is, this is, uh, this is, this is important. Here's where we need to go with this. The anointing or the deposit of God and the Holy Spirit that comes as the church celebrates Pentecost should prepare the church for its future. Now, uh, I, I realize I'm talking to people not in a vacuum. Some of you have been sequestered in your homes. Some of you have been unable to work. Uh, there's all the unrest in the streets. It, it doesn't feel or look like a celebrative day, but there's something about this day. There's something about this day. This time is important in the purposes of God. So interesting, the Apostle Paul, who was not in the upper room on that day, hadn't been even saved yet. Yet the celebration of that day for him as a Christian and as an apostle, not to Jews, but to Gentiles, was essential. And Paul writes to the church at Corinth who are asking him to come because they're fighting and arguing with one another. And this is what he tells them. And I'm reading from 1 Corinthians 16, 7 to 9. He says this, For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But he says, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. I got to do Pentecost. I got to, I got to, I got to honor God that day for a wide, this is why, for a wide door of effective work or ministry has been opened to me and there are many adversaries. Boy, is that described today? Listen, I believe there's an incredible door of ministry, but boy, are we facing adversaries, huh? Are we facing adversaries? Paul's talking about, by the way, his mission to Europe. He's going to cross over into Europe. That's the work, the door that's opened to him. By the way, going west with the gospel takes the trajectory of the gospel for the rest of the history of the church. It always moves from west to east, all the way around the globe. That's the way it goes. So, Paul's talking about his mission to Europe, and, and he's saying that I need to celebrate this feast in preparation for the spiritual warfare that I have to do to see God's plan for me and for the church fulfilled. We're kind of in that time. We're in that time. A year later, Paul knows that he's been called to Jerusalem, for example. Jerusalem, Rome, and then Spain. And I believe he made it to Spain, by the way, but that's another preach. All right, and he decides to forego stopping at the church at Ephesus, which is a church he planted. He is not even going to stop there on the way. And, and Luke makes this really clear. He says this in uh, Acts 20, 15. He says, And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos. And the day after, we went to Miletus. Verse 16. Then he says, For Paul, watch this, For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus which no doubt he yearned to go to. I mean, it was his church. He decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening, hastening to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Whoa. See, for Paul, he understood it's all about harvest. 
It's all about work. It's all about what God's going to do. There's an anointing that comes at a peculiar time. And I don't believe it's the, all of the palaver that we're seeing and facing right now, not only as a church, but as a nation, that all this stuff on this Pentecost is just happenstance. It's not just serendipity. There's an enemy who wants to deflect us from what God is calling the church to. Now, I believe that as we slowly emerge from the attack of this virus, God is preparing us for this harvest that I'm talking about. But I also think that the church will need to meet we're going to have to do some things. I can't get to all of them today. We'll pick up some next week. But the church is going to need to do some preconditions for the revival that the church in Jerusalem actually lived out. For Pentecost to ignite a harvest, the church will have to live out certain preconditions. And the first precondition that we're going to have to live out is sacrificial unity. Sacrificial unity. Uh, we need to ask ourselves something. Uh, yeah. See, sacrificial unity is, is unity that hurts. You know, I'm going to have to sacrifice something of my ego, something of my opinions, something of my, my, my agenda, something of, of, of who I think I am in order to see the church come to the place that it needs to come to for the Holy Spirit to fall and a harvest that would befuddle the faithless will take place. So how did this ragtag bunch of nobodies assembled in a room in Jerusalem usher in a move of God that changed the earth? Huh? Eight weeks earlier, they were arguing. They were locked in jealous disputes. They were filled with opinions about one another. They were locked in, in envy. Uh, they... They betrayed Jesus. They betrayed one another. They abandoned him. They were confused and they were afraid and they were ambitious. What happened? How did, how did they change? What, what happened? You see, their personal priorities, rather than being aligned to personal ambitions and opinions, became aligned to love. The love of God and the love of one another. It has to happen. It has to happen like we've never seen before. I find it not coincidental, as I said, that this horrific situation in Minneapolis and then the other urban centers, I don't think it's happenstance. I'm horrified. There, there is a spirit, a principality across the nation and the nations that subsists upon fear and insights, mistrust and hatred and even death. I, I get it. I, I, I think what happened there is despicable. Across the nations... Across the nation, something is going on. A number of you have asked that I weigh in on the deaths of George Floyd and Ahmed Arbery. And I guess some of you didn't see it, but I did weigh in a couple weeks ago on Friday night and pointed you to some forums that were going on in the, the network that we belong to, one focus regarding the Arbery death. I personally find both deaths just despicable. But I find the raging, riotous, chaotic response to be an empty eruption of demand for justice, a demand for revenge. None of it, none of it, none of it is detached from a spirit of racism and hatred and violence that's been let loose on our nation. And it betrays all kinds of cracks structurally in the nation. I get that, all those kinds of things. But it's pent up because 
The virus is kind of the platform that pens up all the frustration. But what I want to say is this. When Paul said, we war not against flesh and blood, he meant it. He meant it. We throw that out as a cliche in Sunday schools and teach our little kids to put on the whole armor of God and all of that kind of stuff. Paul was very serious about it. And when people are acting under the influence of a principality, they're not conscious of it, especially if they're not believers, of course. They do things and say things that they would not do otherwise. I can't talk about this in a blurb on a Sunday morning, but so as not to sidestep the issue, I want you all to know that my heart is for NC4 to be an interracial, multi-ethnic church. And, and I celebrate our biracial, multi-ethnic couples, our children. We belong to a network that's biracial. I'm on a leadership, two leadership teams, one voice and one focus that are biracial, multi-ethnic. It's really important to me the frustration that builds in me as I look across the nation and see this eruption of chaos is hurtful. It really is. What I would like to ask for, however, is for those who are writing and expressing opinions, and I really, I understand this needs to be talked through. There needs to be forums and so forth. But a lot of stuff flies around. I was looking at stuff, postings that Tricia showed me this morning that are empty. It's not that they don't have content. They're just empty of purpose, empty of, of effectiveness. And uh, so if you're attempting to adjudicate these horrible situations, which is almost impossible, how much time really have you passed praying and interceding before God for everyone involved relative to the time that you've taken to assert yourself? Now, I'm not scolding here. Please don't misunderstand me. I think that it's a vital question because prayer works. And the church has a mandate to be involved in God's kingdom come. Now, if you want to be doing something effective as a pastor, I want to point you in some directions here. There is a ministry called civilrighteousness.org. That's civil, not civil rights, civilrighteousness.org. And it's pastored by Jonathan Thomas. It's good theology. It combines social action with intercession, serious intercession, Eucharistically based. And why I'm pointing, it, pointing you there and not elsewhere is because it has national punch. You can go online. They're just starting a 21-day fast for fasting and praying along the lines of Isaiah 58. Is this not the fast I have chosen to loose the bonds of the oppressed? And you can register and join the fast and begin to intercede. It's a good way to go forth. It's a good site to visit anyway. There's value in it. They're also doing a National Day of Humility. Holy cow, there's a, an insight right there. So it's uh, civilrighteousness.org. You can go there and really extend yourself in some serious intercession for this blast of chaos across the nation. There's another place I'd like to send you to. Most of you know I'm not on Facebook. So if you're not on Facebook, find somebody who is. And go on Facebook, and you need to look for uh, Christine Kane. Tr Trish and I had the pleasure of having dinner with her about two years ago. And she's a, kind of a major force in evangelism and sexual trafficking. She's quite a gal, Australian. 
the title of the thing you want to look for on Facebook is A Conversation on Race and Restoration in the Body of Christ. And it's, it's a conversation between uh, Christine and Dr. Anita uh, Phillips. And if some of you are bewildered about what's happening right now, you want to go to that conversation. Find it and listen to it because it'll enlighten your soul and give you some understanding of what we're fencing with in the body of Christ. Okay? By the way, the uh, civilrighteousness.org, their tagline, I love this, is inequity demands a civil rights movement, but iniquity requires a civil righteousness movement. Uh, I love that tag. I think it's just great. So uh, there's two resources that are, I think, important. Also, you can go back to the One Focus website. I want to say two weeks ago, we talked about the Aubrey shooting, and there was a forum there. It was uh, a biracial, and I thought it was, it was very, very good. You want to go there uh, on the website. Okay, but all of this that I'm talking about is a case in point for a precondition of the church that's poised toward a, Pente- a protracted Pentecost. And it's this, the disciples prayed with a sense of their essential, like essential role in seeing God's kingdom come. God's kingdom doesn't come when Jesus comes. God's kingdom is on the earth now. Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus said. So Luke, in the first verses of Acts, tells us that in preparation for Pentecost, and I'm reading from Acts 1, 1 through 3, he he says, I've dealt, this is what Luke is saying, I've dealt with all that Jesus began, I love that, began to do and teach. In other words, Jesus began something that, guess who's going to finish up, yeah, until he comes. Until the day when he was taken up, that's the ascension which we observed two weeks ago, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. We're going to talk about that next week because they were so convinced in his resurrection. He says, appearing to them during 40 days. And what did he do when he appeared to them for 40 days? He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. He gave them a mandate, the same mandate we have today. Jesus began, Jesus ascended, and now the church has to play its role in the kingdom coming. The disciples said to Jesus in Acts 1, Okay, Jesus, like you've instructed us in the coming of the kingdom. Are you going to establish the kingdom? Are you going to do it in Israel right now? And Jesus said, No, 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 no. It's not for you to know the times and the seasons of that deal, the the Israel thing here. But when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will have power. You will have power. We have power. We have power. And that's what I'm talking about. I love the description of the church praying for Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. It looked like disaster. They were arrested and and there was chaos in Jerusalem. and, And so... They confront the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin says, you can't preach in the name of Jesus. And Peter says, look, I respect you, but we, we can't not do that. And then they're released, okay? And I love the description of what happened in, in Acts 4.24. It says, so when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. Same heart, same mind, same love, same soul, same focus, They raised their voice to God with one accord, and then they prayed. And in verse 31, 
When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Oh, wait a second. I thought they were filled in Acts chapter 2. Guess what? Look, if you're sitting out there saying, you know, I got God, that doesn't mean you got all of God that there is to get. That's the deal, okay? There's a lot more God to get, especially in this season, right? So when I see what happened there, I ask myself, okay, I, I get it, I get it, I get, get the preconditions, Lord, but why not here? Why not now? Why not anywhere? Why not now? Is it that you're indisposed? And I feel like the Lord says, I'm never indisposed. What I see is a church that's indisposed. Huh? So we have to extend. We have to take this somewhere. We have to protract it. Because it's like this. It's like today is the day when God made a reservation for us. All right? At the Harvest Restaurant. <laughs> today, but we have to keep the reservation, huh? Because God's going to hold the reservation. I know there's some Seinfeld fans out there. Anyway, so God, we got to keep the reservation that God is holding for us, and that's what I'm praying for today. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we come before you and pray that the significance, not just in our understanding, but the significance in, in receiving hearts uh, would not, would not, we wouldn't miss it, Lord. We pray, Lord, that the significance of this day spiritually would be our abode. Lord, I just speak a release of the Holy Spirit upon the church that I have a privilege to pastor. I speak a release of the Holy Spirit on NC4. I speak a release of the Holy Spirit on those who are, who are just touching the hem of NC4's garment somewhere in, in cyberspace. If you're a guest here this morning, I speak a release of the Holy Spirit upon you in the name of Jesus, because today is Pentecost. Lord, we pray for the, for the assault uh, upon, Lord, the, the assault of chaos upon our nation, in the cities, the misunderstanding, the confusion, the crying out for justice. Lord, and we pray, Lord, that there would be a, a, a peace to fall upon this nation in the storm. And that reconciliation would, would begin to take place as the church takes its place. Lord, would you, would you make the church a, a hypodermic needle uh, in all these cities, God? I know churches are speaking to one another. Lord, anoint them with the Holy Spirit. Make them effective in ways that, 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 that other organizations can't be affected because we're not an organization. We're a bunch of ragtag people filled with the Holy Ghost that can do stuff, Lord. Lord, uh, if social actions needed, show the church how to do it. And we pray for that, God. We pray for these preconditions because we, we Lord, we want to keep the reservation. Keep the reservation. Give us one accord in Jesus' name. Now, if you're, um, if you're watching online and, and you, know, you think, whoa, this is crazy stuff, but I feel something rising up within me, I want to tell you that's faith and it's, it's the Holy Spirit. And if you've never settled the issue that Jesus is your God, it's never settled the issue that 
He's your Lord and your Savior and your King. If you never settled the issue that you need a relationship with him, you can do it right now. And I'm asking you to, everybody, to just close your eyes, close your eyes, bow your heads. I'm going to pray a prayer. But if that's you, will you pray this prayer with me? Just repeat after me. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the way I've conducted my life, the wrong things I've done. Please forgive me. And I now turn from anything I know is wrong. I thank you that you died on the cross and you did it for me so I can be forgiven, I can be set free. I want to know you, Lord. I invite you into my life. And I receive you by faith. I thank you for your cross and the gift of your Holy Spirit. In your own name, I pray now. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.